In times of crisis, Jim Prever and his team, like the fresh produce industry they serve, have not only adapted but managed to thrive. Please join Primus Labs and Azul as we salute Jim and all the innovators who are working to advance the fresh produce supply chain. Welcome to Jim Prevor's Perishable Pundit Podcast, where the subject may be perishable, but the insight isn't. Perishablenews.com has been informing the industry for over 10 years, and it is the outlet for daily news covering perishable foods. Sign up today for free at Perishablenews.com, your source for daily perishable foods news. The Wall Street Journal ran an opinion piece signed by both the provost and president of Cornell University explaining the decision to reopen Cornell to residential instruction this fall. Not surprisingly, the piece is thoughtful and thorough. The gist of their argument is that at a school like Cornell, where many students live off campus in apartments in College Town and other parts of Ithaca, New York, by opening the school to physical attendance, as opposed to all online education, the school maintains authority. It can compel students to be tested for the coronavirus every five days, demand the students wear masks, ensure the spacing of chairs in class is socially distant, reduce the density of housing, and much more. Relying on an epidemiological modeling effort headed up by Cornell professor Peter Frazier, the authors claim that in many cases, schools that play it safe by moving classes all online will wind up having more cases of COVID-19, more hospitalizations, and more deaths among people in their community, students, faculty, staff, than schools that open up and utilize their authority to test and enforce behavior. This argument seems well-researched and is probably true, although it is not certainly true. After all, maybe young adults forced to socially distance themselves all day may be inclined to get close at night. Of course, it comes off as a little elitist, as the same argument should apply to everyone, not just university communities. If the government ordered citizens to be tested every five days, compelled those who tested positive to be quarantined for two weeks, ordered social distancing on penalty of prison, etc., then there would be less spread of COVID-19. If avoiding COVID-19 is so important, why shouldn't people who don't go to college get the same effort made to protect them? Of course, it's not 100% clear that seeking to reduce the spread of COVID-19 is the right direction. It may not even be possible. German Chancellor Angela Merkel, who has a doctorate in quantum chemistry, has put it this way. We have to understand that many people will be infected. The consensus among experts is that 60 to 70% of the population will be infected as long as the situation remains the same. In other words, despite our hopes, since there has never been a vaccine against a coronavirus, we have to expect that this problem will not magically go away. We're reminded that although therapies have dramatically improved, diseases such as HIV continue to exist without a vaccine being developed despite decades of effort. The whole situation 
is an extension of what we've seen in the food industry for decades, a massive expression of a society that has become unable to deal with risk. The Wall Street Journal published an op-ed by this author titled, Let Us Try Not to Panic, Dealing with the Risk of Eating Romaine Lettuce During an Outbreak in 2018. This was a near hysterical situation, with the government effectively closing down the romaine lettuce industry by urging that, quote, U.S. consumers not eat any romaine lettuce and retailers and restaurants not serve or sell any, end quote, until the E. coli outbreak was resolved. What caused this extraordinary recommendation by the U.S. government? This is what we wrote in the midst of the crisis. The odds that eating a serving of romaine will make you sick are about 1 in 11 million, and the odds it will put you in the hospital are less than 1 in 28 million. To put this in perspective, the probability of getting a royal flush in poker is dozens of times as great at 1 in 649,740. And the probability of an amateur hitting a hole-in-one in golf is hundreds of times as great at 1 in 12,000. If you are that risk-averse, you should stay away from dogs. The lifetime odds of getting killed by a dog attack are about 1 in 112,000. Even the odds of getting struck by lightning in a particular year are higher than one in a million. To put it another way, if this outbreak were active every day and you ate one salad a day, on average, you would be hospitalized for E. coli once every 77,000 years. And this likely overstates the problem. In past food-related E. coli outbreaks, the people hospitalized tended to be those with weakened immune systems, such as the very old, the very young, and patients undergoing stem cell transplants or chemotherapy. These groups are often advised by their doctors to avoid eating foods that may contain pathogens such as these anyway. The odds of otherwise healthy people facing hospitalization is even lower than this infinitesimal amount. The CDC never actually discloses the risks it so frequently advises avoiding, perhaps because it would be laughed at if it did. How does this compare to COVID-19? Well, for women under 44 years of age and men under 39 years of age, which is basically the entire student body, the United Kingdom has published observed population fatality rates and found that the rate is less than zero, 0.00%. So we are off in the third decimal place or less on every five-year age cohort from 0 to 49 in women and 0 to 44 in men. Remember that whatever deaths might occur are often related to comorbidities. In other words, the very unfortunate child who has cancer or a heart condition and also gets COVID-19. Even for the working adults beyond the age of 49 among women and beyond 44 among men, the percentage numbers for COVID-19 deaths run from 0.01% to 0.08% in five-year cohorts, with men from 60 to 64 being the most endangered at 0.08%. Again, 
a very high percentage of these deaths are in people with comorbidities, diabetes, cancer, heart disease, etc. As the country is consumed with the Black Lives Matter protests, we need to consider what has led to this movement taking off at this particular time. Surely part of the motivation is that the general philosophy of lockdowns serves the interests of two distinct groups, older people who are more vulnerable to COVID-19 and those who are already financially set. The oldest active NFL player is Tom Brady at 42 years old. The average age of an NFL player is a little over 26 years old, and typically players are only pros for three or four years. Even the average Pro Bowl nominated player only has an NFL career of 12 years. If you go to an 18-year-old dreaming of a pro football career and tell him there is a chance, but less than 0.00% chance that he will get the disease and then die from it, almost every player will want to play. They would probably say the same if the risk was 1% or higher. This is their shot. We should let them take it. Thanks for listening. This is Jim Preeboy.